0: We are live. All right, so we'll just give everyone a few moments to settle in, gather around the campfire, listen to stories. Um, hey, hi, and hello. I am Ray Lockdust, and today I'm here with world-renowned war gamer and board game enthusiast, Rebecca Banke. That's me.
1: <laughs> it's a very, very delightful and honorific title. I appreciate that. I must have just liked dolls, you know? <laughs> Professional dolls. Professional, they're they're, Strong dolls. they're war dolls, so it's you know it's a big deal now. That's the that's the line. I've gotten through customs a few times with that. Of course, yeah.
0: they have mini swords though. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, mini swords. Some of mini guns. It's a big deal. Like it's, don't, don't say guns when you're going through customs. That's a bad choice. No, even <laughs> swords is dicey.
0: <laughs>
1: dicey. That was a board gaming joke. Get it because of I dice. Get... <gasps> they're in the dice. games with the
0: yeah. No. Tell me more about these dies? Oh, I won't do it. I won't go down that path. <laughs> anyway, um, so today we are here to discuss Rebecca's journey of uh, coming out as a trans woman, as a prominent figure in the gaming industry. And we are going to utilize the most um, serious and professional tools that we have at our disposal. Um, We're going to not be playing Jenga this evening. So the way it works is each block is numbered and so are my questions. So we are going to have Rebecca pull miscellaneous blocks out of the Jenga tower and as we go through we're going to ask some questions and things are going to get real and I don't know maybe one of us might have an emotion.
1: (laughs) I guess folks are allowed to do that now, if you insist. Um, At some point, this is going to, like, fall over, probably, and I think then we're just going to, like, pick up the pieces. It'll be a little bit like how life works.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And, as always, I have a backup plan. So I have one of those fandangled dice. So when we run out of cower but um, still have questions.
1: Serious topic but on theme, board games, role point games, dice.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love it. So, shall we begin our journey together? It's your show, I'm just here. All right, well, (laughs) you are here to pull the block.
1: Oh, good, so this is you get to answer a question based on what I pull here?
0: Um, I like the idea of you are the prioritized answer. Oh, I'm pulling my own question, is that what's happening here? Yeah, and then if it's something that is for both of us, then great, if not, then I
1: have pulled a three.
0: All right, how do you define the word Queer? Is it a slur? Uh,
1: that's a fair question. I mean, queer's got a long history. Um, we sort of talk about like umbrella terms like the queer community. And I think um, it's it's been sort of um, reclaimed by members of that community in the last, I want to say like 10 to 15 years, but the history of that reclamation process is probably longer. Uh, at one point, it was a thing you would say to somebody like, you know, disparagingly. It was something that was thrown out at a playground, a little bit like the way kids when I was growing up would say gay, right? um but i think in recent years it's become one of those like inviting umbrella terms for members of the like lgbtq i plus like community and and the, the reality of that acronym is that um it includes a lot of people people who have marginalized experiences of gender sexual orientation relationships to um some of the very very life-defining things that we we sort of um, we take for granted that the normative experience is what everyone has. And then when you don't have that, it's a real, it's a real journey to figure it out for yourself. Um, and queer is a label that gets to, without saying kind of an alphabet soup sentence, uh, invite you to be a part of something in solidarity, even if you're, you're different. Um, people will say like, oh, it's important for me to say pansexual versus bisexual. That's a distinction that some people draw and, and certain labels fit better for other people. And there's criticism around that idea that like you're, you're further dividing. I think labels are really important because they help people know who they are and finally sort of see themselves reflected in language, which is really powerful. And and I can talk more to that at some point, probably with one of these questions, but seeing yourself in language lets you know who you are, but then by being so that we can use for legal advocacy and social connection and just finding other people like you in the world who can empathize with your experience. So I think queer is a way to kind of broaden that umbrella again long-winded answer but it's you know it's a deceptively simple question
0: yeah yeah deceptive was my plan (laughs) it was good it's
1: very very sneaky of you right i appreciate it uh you get to jenga now right that's the tension
0: yes i get to jenga
1: it's gonna be so embarrassing when they knock it down right now you're going for a a middle one the same side bold choice Uh, oh god (laughs) i never claimed to be a champion (laughs) i'm not like a champion Everything. It's like one dog game. Anyway, even then, let's did you Do did
0: you remember the number? Yes, it's a five. A five? A blue five. But that only matters to me. Right. <laughs> what does it mean to pass? Can this idea be harmful? That's for you, right?
1: You're answering this question? Or am I answering all the questions?
0: You are my guest.
1: Oh, dear. All right. Yeah. If,
0: if there is any that you're just like, oh, well, I want to hear your perspective. I love to talk and I will answer anything. And if I feel usually the way that I do it, my my tradition is I ask you a question. And if there is anything that I want to add that I feel like is not touched see. on, then you I reserve go. the
1: right to answer the question or elaborate on what I'm saying. Fair <laughs> enough. I'm probably too verbose already. No um, <laughs> such thing. So, uh, passing. Passing is a complicated concept in the trans community. And let me just define it for like cis folks out there or you know, trans folks who maybe just don't know what passing is, which is, you know, it's fair, everyone comes to this with a different level of understanding. Um, passing is the experience of being someone who's trans or who has a gender experience that isn't, um, you know, uh, you're, you're assigned at birth, sex matches your, your experience of gender. Um, so anyone who's trans who gets to go through life Without people knowing that they're trans visibly, has the experience of passing in some way, and that's like that's short for like sort of socially passing or passing in society, um, being able to sort of be sort of passed over and not subject to the same scrutiny someone who has a visibly queer or visibly transgender expers- expression has. Um, yeah, that's that's a bit weird because like uh, non-binary folks like like Ray can pass. As a woman, mm-hmm. and not be subject to scrutiny. Like, you can go into a drugstore and not have someone stare at you weirdly because they just assume something about your gender that is normative, even if it's not even accurate. Mm-hmm. And um, some trans women that I know will talk about like going out in quote boy mode or like, you know, covering or trying to hide. Um, and that's different from vocabulary like stealth, which is when you're a trans woman who passes all the time virtually undetectable as a, an, a woman. And some of that's about just like natural beauty. Some of it's about um, like years of practice, hormone replacement, uh, an understanding of, of makeup and cosmetics. Some of it's just like, you know, you've got the right kind of bone structure for that to happen. Like I, I was compared to looking like my mother well before I started any kind of medical intervention. So I, I had an easier time getting kind of closer to where I, I wanted to be. And, and passing is, um, It's a privilege, it makes life easier for you sometimes. Um, But it's also, it's, uh, it's maybe overemphasized in the trans community and especially because so many people don't necessarily even know very many trans people or certainly don't know that they know trans people. The experience that gets emphasized is like one in film and television where you know, we are typically dealing with movie stars who are just a different caliber of attractiveness of human being. So passing is seen as like this universal experience. And unless we're, you know, we're dealing with some kind of tour of trauma, um, you know, we, there's an expectation that you're not trans enough if you're not passing sufficiently. Uh, or sometimes that your, are um, you know, your, your experience is less valid because you haven't like, Succeeded, and and I think there's an overemphasis sometimes on the idea that like a trans person has undergone a transformation, whereas the actual experience of being trans is just kind of, you know, constantly having your worldview and your lived experience inflected by transformation as something that occurs, you know, from your earliest days of not knowing that you, you know, could, couldn't necessarily even understand what it meant to just having. Incongruity with your what you're told and what you feel to you know the everyday experience of somebody who just like always knows that they are different and were different and even if you've passed completely you're still a trans person so like you know you don't snap your fingers and become a woman or vice versa it's you know it's a process and it's a lifelong process mm-hmm. so you know someone who doesn't pass at all is just as valid a human being and just as worthy of like love and respect and legal protection and social acceptance as somebody who totally passes and is gorgeous doing it. Mm -hmm. And like, it's nice to do, like it feels good, but also like, it's just so, it's a little bit like, it's akin in some ways to ableism. Like the idea that like, you know, your experience doesn't get to match quite as well or fit in quite as well, or requires a little bit more accommodation. So in some way it's less worthy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, is there more you wanted to add there? I feel like I've um, said a bunch about passing that's maybe only
0: passingly related to it. Um, I, I think that you did, uh, did. Uh, I think you did very well with the word making that you did just now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess I have to pull another wobbly wooden block here. Is that the, the concept? yeah i I
0: was gonna um talk about non-binary oh yeah sure
1: please by all means (laughs) all
0: right so and be um, surreal too yeah i i'm very real (laughs) so um as as a non-binary person i find that there is nothing that i can pass for there is no um because i don't like the idea of attributing gender to my identity i just would rather disconnect myself from it that is what makes me more comfortable But I'm also aware that I tend to um, dress a little feminine (laughs) and it can and it just makes people assume that I am woman. And most of the time, that is the safest route. And I go with it, even though it does affect me. It doesn't ruin my day because I'm at a point where I try to convince myself that it's okay because I get it. And that's not something fair to do to myself. But it also is very difficult because I feel like I'm in a position where my only option to be they'd in public by strangers is to just look as androgynous and confusing as possible.
1: Right. Everyone is very obsessed with trying to figure out which side of the line you fall onto. Um, and I'm working really, really hard to stay on like this this femme side of the line. I'm doing everything I can to visually present in public. And when there's like things about my appearance or biology or sound of voice or, or things like that that put me on the other side of the line, people want to like they want to assert one way or another, and that the behavior of assertion is quite aggressive. Meanwhile, your experience is you're trying to be in the line, like this razor's edge of gender expression, and to get that not only do you have to encounter somebody who understands they them pronouns and what an NB person is, um, but you also have to like do a good enough job to it that they don't label you as something else. So that's that's one of the reasons why um, like more people having a nuanced understanding of gender can be helpful for people who want to just like be it and be seen in the world. But then also why we need a better cultural lexicon for talking to people about pronouns and behaviors because we could be more inviting and it would be like just It would make people happier and safer and feel good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, now I'll let you grab another. Now I have block. to
1: grab one of the tumbling travesties.
0: Tumbling travesties. Travesties.
1: I said travesty, but I like where you're going with it. It's, an, <laughs> is this a six or a nine? How do we know?
0: Oh, um, that's a nine. I know because I just know my writing. <laughs> OK, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should have. Wait. No. Well, yeah, it's a nine. Is it a six? Is it a nine? Who can tell? Either way, I like like question nine, so we're gonna do it.
1: All right, it's a good system.
0: (laughs) What is gender euphoria?
1: Oh yeah, cool. So gender euphoria is um, a kind of like, cute tongue in cheek contrast with the experience of gender dysphoria. So to understand what gender euphoria is, you have to first understand what gender dysphoria is. Lots of people don't experience this very often, but like, um, if you're a cis person and you've ever been like shopping in the mall and um, someone you know says the wrong gender to you, like you're you're a man buying like something in a hair product and, and one you know a clerk comes over and was like, "Did you need a hand or something there, ma'am?" And then you like turn around and feel kind of like weirdly uncomfortable that you've been seen this way that you aren't. Um, that's like a microcosm of the experience of gender dysphoria. Um, so like that little moment, that little bit of a thing. Uh, might feel mildly irritating to you. A little bit like uh, getting a scrape on the knee feels after you fall off your bike. But then imagine you, you know spent your childhood having repeated knee surgeries and then you fall off your bike and, and scrape your knee a little bit. Gender dysphoria is a little bit more like that. So you've spent a large portion of your life gradually coming to terms with the fact that, you know, you don't match your body and you're, you're not sure if you're allowed to be. Like that, that's just, that's maybe a broken thing about you that can never be fixed. And, and you sort of struggle with that in a daily way. Um, and then you constantly experience moments where just like something about your body or something about the way that you, you are doesn't match. Something about the way that you feel seen or you see yourself or you exist in the world um, doesn't fit with, with your lived experience. And it, it can be really stressful and traumatic. Some days it can just make you feel bad about yourself. Um, gender euphoria is is the opposite of that. It's a moment where your, your kind of authentic gender experience is affirmed, either in um, a moment where you get to see that accurately reflected in yourself, um, someone else's reflection of a comment, like you know when someone says, man to me in public, it feels good in a different kind of way. Um, and it's often most pronounced when it's sort of like a kind of first time that that happens in that way. Um, it can be really freeing, uh, and it can feel like, um, like finally having acknowledged something that was wrong that happened to you when you were very young, that you just had to be told by adults and people in your life was okay or was the way it was going to be someone coming along and saying, that's, that's not right. That's not how that should have been. And being able to say like, Oh wow, that's a weight off my chest. I didn't realize it was even there like that moment. That's the kind of gender euphoria. And sometimes it's that it's as simple as um, like a kind of uplifting moment of like, Wow, I can I can shake that off and feel good about myself. Um, and sometimes it's just like it's a giddiness almost, just like a like an excitement about like I could be me and be free, like going camping um, and and just you know kind of being under the stars. There's nothing else there, and just kind of like running around and just like smelling nature in a way that you've managed to ignore for most of your life. That's a little bit what the experience of being a trans person and finally finally feeling seen and feeling out and feeling alive. Um, I will speak naturally to the lens that I know, which is that of being a trans woman. Um, but you know, the first time I I got to wear a dress and be seen by people who, who weren't going to mock me or treat it like it was some kind of a Halloween costume for it. The first time I was wearing, that felt like I had to be just a little bit closer to the version of myself that I I, I wanted to be. And, you know, it was like being able to smell nature when you'd spent so long, just ignoring it, you know, keeping it right below the surface. That's what I think. Gender euphoria is for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I, I think that's a great answer. It's... Succinct, s- right? Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't really do succinct, so... You know, I, I, and I expect nothing but um, verbose answers from you. <laughs> Long-winded, that's what you yes. can say. It. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I want essays. <laughs> the, yeah, like... Answer this yes or no question in the form of an like essay. Like a
1: thesis, <laughs> constructed
0: paragraphs. It's <laughs> you know, my jam. Exactly
1: the philosophy degree. You can take the
0: philosopher out of the degree, but you can't take the degree of the philosopher. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, carry yeah, on. Something, something smart girl. <laughs> I, I, you had me a girl.
1: <laughs> Woman. <laughs> no, that, that, that literally might be both at this point. <laughs> I don't have time for being upset by infantilization. I'm so worried about everything else in my life. Uh, cool. Did you uh, have more you wanted to add or are you going to like, Struggle. I'm. I'm very uh, like. I'm just trying really hard to not be the person who knocks over the tower. I yesterday.
0: know. I don't think this is gonna last long. What have I done? Is it a a tower on oh. tower? Oh, that's a bold choice. Yes, it is. I'm a bold person. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck.
1: All right. Did you catch the question? Yes.
0: Yes, I did. Question ten. Question ten. Or question zero one. If you hold it up there. Yeah. But, um, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, quantity aside, how would you improve trans representation in board games?
1: Oh yeah, Um, that's a really good question. And it's a big question in some ways. Uh, I think miniature gaming, board gaming, and and just kind of like RPGs and fantasy (laughs) storytelling, all have a similar kind of um, well. Okay, there's a couple of reasons why representation sometimes suffers. So let me first address some of the reasons, both like potentially benevolent and quite benevolent reasons, uh, and then talk about like ways that that representation could be better. Obviously, numerically, you know, it would be nice to see more of oneself depicted in something, but you know, I don't, I don't want every second character to be a trans character, right? Um, so I think malevolently, the reasons we see less representation is people are like, ah, it doesn't matter. Or, ah, we mostly market to our core demographic of cis white men in their late 20s. I mean, that's that's the kind of like naivete that can exist in the board game industry uh, and can exist in the RPG industry and has existed in the miniatures gaming industry that is kind of like what we talk about when we say like a bit of a boys club, right? Um, it would be nice if we could just invite more people to that conversation. And one of the ways we do that is by, putting them in our art and putting them in our games. And um, Magic the Gathering, which is a trading card game that I played, um, had a trans character in the art and in the fiction, uh, very, very gracefully handled a few years ago. Uh, that's a game that you know, has not always a perfect history of their presentation, but is working actively to put that forward. And that's because they see that, you know, accessing larger market share of human beings and having more people engaged is a great way to do that. And it's a card where for people like me, I was amazed, impressed, and delighted that it existed. For other people, they don't care. It's a thing that it was just there and done. It was not sufficiently loud that it disrupted their experience. And most people don't care and some people passionately need it. And like, that's just a way to increase sales and increase commitment. I mean, niche hobbies uh, and fandoms like board gaming, role-playing games, miniature games, like those kind of communities thrive not on having everyone be committed and interested, but by having, you know, passionate cores of people. And tapping into more passionate resources is the right reason to increase things like representation. So, you know, long-winded answer to a short question, how can we do better at representation? Step one, you should. Uh, <laughs> the other reason sometimes people don't is a lot of like authorship in these industries is like, you know, cis white men who, you know, occupy a portion of the demographic. And it's great to get more people who have a better perspective on these things involved in that process. But step one is I've I've met like, you know, thoughtful people, um, you know, who did not have a a trans experience um, or who were not the people they were trying to see represented, want to increase that representation, but say, I don't want to do it if I'm going to do a bad job about it. And that's like a kind of benevolent reason to maybe not want to do it. Like you just, you don't want to like, do a bad job and then be thought of as bad, so now you just don't do anything at all. Mm-hmm. And that's that's worse. And I, I do say that because it's important to note that like it is way more important to have representation, to see that we exist, than it is to have that representation be perfect and thoughtful, mm-hmm. um, although it would be nice to have both. Mm-hmm. When Looney Tunes tried to uh, censor Speedy Gonzalez from original productions, there was an outcry of, um, you know, Latinx people who saw that representation and grew up with that character and loved it despite it being despite it being incredibly racist. Um, so like, you know, no representation is worse, but like don't engage in bigotry if possible. Yeah. So um, my answer to that is first, do write those stories, do include those characters, do feature that art and do make it about those things. But then like do some consultation, you know, have somebody who has perspective on it, uh, reach out to them, sometimes those people, um, uh, like I don't I don't advocate like pick a minority group who is historically underprivileged in terms of economic circumstance and don't pay them for their labor. Please do offer to pay people for their labor. Um, I have had people ask me to consult on those kind of projects and I'm normally in a position in terms of my own economic privilege to volunteer my time. It's a cause that I believe in. But that is an act of charity, and that that act has value, right? To yeah. so pay people for their labor. But just consult some people. Get them to just, like, vet your content. Just say, like, hey, this is a way that I was planning to inter- introduce a trans character. Really listen to their advice. If they're, like, hmm, that seems kind of like trauma tourism. Why is that character's entire story about their harrowing transition and their lack of social acceptance? And then you might say, like, I thought that's just what trans people were all about. And they might say, aha, they're actually human beings. And you're, like, whoa, life changed. And then you, like, move on, and you both have, like, a – a jovial and delighted existence. Um, But, you know, do that, tell those stories, tell them well, listen to people who have good information and advice to do a better job of it, and then put them in the art and in the worlds and in the the storytelling. Um, This is a coincidence, I did not set up this table, but um, Ray has put the Lord of the Rings uh, Journey to Middle-Earth game. This is a beautiful example of Fantasy Flight Games doing something in terms of better representation. Now this doesn't feature trans representation specifically, but the Lord of the Rings is missing, like, queer people and women, just generally speaking, because that's the story. So this game you know, includes the core characters you all care about, the Aragorns, the Gimli's, the Bilbo's, the people, folks people want to play. But then it also includes uh, new female characters, well-written, grounded in the storytelling, that feel like positive representations of the things they are, doesn't feel like an act of tokenism. And then it also includes queer characters as just vibrant, living parts of the world who just have the same kind of relationships and connections as anyone else. And their queerness is not, the only defining element of them, but it is something that gets to be given enough light that someone playing it who has a non-completely normative experience can look at that and say, huh, yeah, I really like that game. I feel seen by it. And then more people will want to buy the game. More people will care deeply about wanting to buy the game. Yeah. So um, the original question (laughs) you asked me uh, was how can how can representation be better what can how representation can we improve it how can we improve it um, presence you know you, you said other than just quantity well quantity is the number one thing yeah. but also just um, you know be willing to do it be willing to talk about it and and just you know have it exist there uh, a lot of the fiction that exists in things like miniature gaming and RPGs and and board gaming is uh, player driven um, as players have conversations about the role that trends and non-binary characters might play in your RPG, or talk about you know the gender representation and the expression of the characters that you might have, and treat it with the same thoughtfulness you might care about the other epic journeys and stories that they have. You know, think about it. it it's it's a place that you're allowed to play and talk about as long as you treat people with humanity and respect. Yeah. So I guess respectfully and like some more.
0: Yep. More <laughs> and with thought, once more with feeling. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe
1: more than once, even like you know. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it? I, did I just go? No, no that you, was you did the me. Oh, that good was God.
0: Yeah. Uh, I believe in you.
1: I don't know what your content filter on
0: here is, but I'm definitely going to oh. swear at this Jenga tower before I swear at the answer to a question. You may swear. I don't think any children watch the show. Yeah. I think I'm a, I have faith that that continues. What's your number? Oh, this is a, I
1: thought it was a C, but it's actually like a red two. A C.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm
1: not trying to like unreasonably disparage your, your drawing, but you know, here we are.
0: And it's pink, not red. But... <laughs> yeah, anyway, anyway. What's question two? Question, question two is what does it mean to transition?
1: Oh yeah, no, I, I, I hit on this a little bit more, but you know, as people tune in, I can, I can definitely talk about it. Um, so transition is, uh, it's more complicated than just you were a man and are now a woman. My experience of gender and the sort of postmodern way I like to talk about that expression is I've always been a woman. I've just been like misconstrued and had like a a challenging experience of, of, you know being able to let the world understand that. And and that includes not even having the right vocabulary about it. So when trans folk talk about transition uh, and that that's true of people who have a very binary gender experience like mine although inconveniently so or raise non-binary gender experience, we usually talk about elements, both social, legal, and um, medical. Um, Medical transition is not necessary for everyone. And for some people, they take like pills um, that block certain um, uh, sex characteristic reflective hormones, or um, like patches or injections that produce other ones. And those allow you to develop certain secondary sex characteristics like this. and, and those things uh, those can make you feel more like lived in your body, can make you feel more um, right in a way that can combat things like gender dysphoria, as we discussed before. But transition is also like some other steps that are really important. I mean, it's legal recognition. It's that you'd like my bank to use the right name with me. Um, and that requires a lot of paperwork and, and not insignificant cost. Um, it's, you know, it's medical professionals giving you the right kind of care, which is a very complicated and very challenging field, uh, because honestly, someone who, you know, uncomplicatedly addresses me by, you know, a, an assigned at birth sex is going to give me poor medical care because my my blood work doesn't show up right if you do that. Mm-hmm. It shows definitely the wrong levels of a whole bunch of things that are very healthy and very normal and have been advised by a doctor to me. However, they will look bad to somebody who's not going in with enough context. So mm-hmm. that's the legal framework, the sort of questions you might have about like, what does that mean and how do you get ideas changed and what does that look like? But the biggest thing is social transition, just the experience of being able to, um, to tell people you love and care about and and who you might know, friends and family and coworkers, uh, you know, this is, this is me. This is basically who I have always been. This isn't really necessarily news. It's just, it's news to you. And it's something that I want to share with you. Uh, And this is, this is, you know, (laughs) this is a thing that complicates and inflects the experience of my life. And I think that's, um, that's, the hardest and potentially the most rewarding part of transition is that experience of just being able to be properly seen by people who come to know you. It's like if you had a beautiful art that you were capable of, like illustration or or painting or, or even some kind of performance, and you know you were kind of just like the the middle daughter in the family and not necessarily seen as particularly remarkable and then like people you knew and loved stumbled upon like a performance you were doing or were invited to see like a gallery presentation you had and just you know were brought to tears by seeing you in this new way and truly coming to understand something that had always been going on inside you but had never Um, that they've never been given the opportunity to see that way. That's what, for me, transition is about. And that's why I think social transition is the most powerful and most important part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, you know, sometimes it's I was a man and now I'm not. But that's a naive and oversimplifying version of the, the conversation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Transition is something that varies from each person, and everyone has their own experience and standards, of what make them. Makes Your mileage them may are.
1: vary. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm speaking definitely from my.
0: Yeah, roots, of course. Right? And I, like, I'm speaking as a non-binary person. I'm general <laughs> in every regard, so I have to, ge- I have to answer the general questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be very specific and very black and white. That
1: is not everyone's
0: experience. <laughs> I am, uh, Fifty Shades of Great.
1: <laughs> that joke wasn't.
0: <laughs> I'm hilarious.
1: That's, that's normally true.
0: Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying on. <laughs> I'm
1: going to tower tumble or, uh. Yeah, I have to stop. <laughs> okay. Um, block build? Block building? Another, another alternative game for this, uh. Non-branded version of.
0: Uh... Wibbly wobbly. No. Guess
1: we're moving to the D20 version. This is like when when the board game turns into an RPG because,
0: you know, everyone's had their warm up and they're ready
1: to uh, to make that. <laughs> Sorry, folks, listening to the mic. That probably sounded terrible. Yeah. Dice right? yeah. Exciting. I... So, what number did you get before it fell apart?
0: Um, I got <coughs> two actually, which um we've already done, so we have to roll anyway.
1: We can just go to the next one. What's next? All right.
0: This? So number one. This is um one of our more complicated questions um we're all going to take a deep breath here and we're going to focus and we're going to get ready to actually share this information okay mm-hmm.
1: i'm psychologically ready all
0: right um rebecca rebecca Banky, what does it mean to be trans
1: so i know you're preparing me for that as a, like as if it's a simple question oh yeah obviously <laughs> like but like- it's such a it's it's nuanced. It's a little bit like that, like, what is philosophy question, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of kind of long-winded, weird answers I can give you. Um, trans is short for transgender, um, and that's the way we talk about it. Trans is an adjective rather than a noun, so you wouldn't describe someone as a trans. Uh, you wouldn't combine the word trans with another word to make like kind of a new word, like trans woman, like it's all one thing. Uh, you use it to apply to something like you would use the color blue to describe to your car. You know, I'm a trans woman. I have a trans experience. Um, I am... Transgender happens to be one word, but that's just because it's the word that it's short for. Um, trans people are human beings, which is an important qualification to make despite it being something that normally is obvious, whose gender expression or experience doesn't match their assigned-up birth sex. And that can be for a lot of reasons. Um, sometimes those people have XY chromosomes, sometimes they have XX chromosomes, sometimes they have XXX chromosomes, sometimes they have XXY chromosomes. Science is more complicated than grade nine biology, and that's kind of maybe an important thing to consider.
0: Absolutely. And.
1: Um, <laughs> like I feel like I shouldn't need to say that, but I do, and and like a lot of people think like that's not how I was taught things were, and like yeah, you're right, it's not what you were taught was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was taught the wrong stuff about what counts as an acid, and apparently water is an acid now, and like I don't know chemistry as well as a lot of people do, and you don't know biology as long as much as a lot of people do, and I've got three doctors telling me that my experience is legitimate and should be supported and I trust their opinions, and I certainly trust the lived experience I've got that's been for quite some time. Um, so being trans, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, you'd say transgender versus cisgender, cisgender just means basically not trans, um, and that's, like, that's context for that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a sufficient answer, I don't know, did I miss yeah. anything? Um,
0: no, I, I will um, reiterate and simplify it a bit. Um,
1: <laughs> Please do.
0: So, um, to be trans or transgender is to just not identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. Um, <laughs> that is the, the simple answer and as Rebecca said, like the trans experience is different for everyone else. So, some um, non-binary people don't consider themselves trans, sure. whereas some do and again, that is something like you can't forcibly be like, no, you're trans you can't force that on anyone so it's like it's always important to it's the same when you have people um who are saying like like they're non-binary lesbians it doesn't matter what someone like if you disagree with what someone is defining unless it's like unless it's to a point where it is dangerously wrong like if, 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 if someone's sharing information that is incorrect and can put them or someone else in, in trouble, yeah, correct them. But if someone's calling themselves a non-binary lesbian and you don't think that's a thing, I don't think that that's a place to argue because I think that there's enough, um, Sure. negativity and I, scrutiny. I will
1: like say, just this is a side note to what you said, Like yeah. being trans doesn't necessarily have anything to do with who you're attracted to or who you fall in love with. Oh yeah, um, I was just using... I'll, no, absolutely right. It's just like some people might think that like those things are connected. And mm-hmm. it is entirely about gender expression. There are transgender people who are women and love women. I, I for example, have a wife. Um, there are trans women who love men. And for some people, a part of their journey and experience of transition is determining... Um, Heteronormativity and heterosexual sex is so normalized in everything that we experience in romantic movies, in you know the way cards are sold in a grocery store, that I think some people uh, on a journey of gender exploration sometimes use uh, exploring um, certain types of sexual engagement, especially uh, heterosexual sex, as a way to like affirm their experience of gender or come to understand it. And I think that fact has kind of muddied the waters about people's thought that like being transgender means you're changing who you're sexually attracted to. Mm -hmm. And there's even a lot of misinformation out there about the degree to which like hormonal changes can change those things. Um, There's not conclusive evidence that they have very much effect at all. Uh, There's pretty conclusive evidence that spending most of your life trapped inside a closet of hate can make it very difficult to know who and what you are. Um, So a lot of people who transition sometimes ask other useful questions Similarly to the people who say, okay, well, I'm starting a brand new business in a marketplace that's never existed before. How else should I do things uniquely? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, fundamentally being transgender is just a comment about gender and gender expression, not a comment at all about sexual attraction.
0: Yeah. Awesome, thank thank you for that note. And um, shall we roll on?
1: Yeah, yeah, roll, yeah, roll yeah, for, Oh, I guess know, it's my yeah, turn The stakes are so much lower now that I'm not gonna accidentally knock something over. I, well, I mean, I spoke too soon. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff here. Uh, it's a seven,
0: what's question number, lucky number seven. Alrighty. How is dead naming harmful?
1: Okay, um, that's a good question. So dead naming is um, a microaggression of sorts. This is addressed nicely in the new Netflix Babysitter's Club series in episode three. Uh, it's, it's fun. You should watch it if you liked The Babysitter's Club growing up, and if you didn't, it's, it's good. You should still watch yeah, it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really solid. Um, but uh, deadnaming is, uh, is basically the act of using someone's assigned at birth name uh, to refer to them, in, intentionally or unintentionally. It's a thing that happens often that people maybe don't even think about uh, mm-hmm. or do really reflexively, and it causes a kind of gender dysphoria, the, the element that we sort of talked about before, where a trans person might feel um, like a little bit less seen or a little bit less real in your eyes. It's a lot of people misinterpret that as, you know, when you dead name someone, they feel less affirmed in their gender. And if their gender was that shaky, then how did they know they were trans? Let me tell you right now, most trans people I know are more firm in their experience of gender, having spent a big portion of their life investigating it, than plenty of cisgender folks I know who haven't really had a need to investigate it because like, frankly, it's sort of worked out. Um, There's no shakiness about your experience of gender. There's a shakiness about how your gender is experienced by other people. It's a little bit like um, walking into a room with a really cool Halloween costume and thinking you look really awesome. And then having someone like not know who you are or say the wrong thing or say something like particularly insulting about like the way that you look. Not that gender is necessarily a costume, but it's something that exists in a space between your experience of it and other people's interaction and experience of it. So it's necessarily something that you're inviting people to experience. And you're hoping that you can communicate effectively how their experience should feel or should be. Um, So when someone dead names you, it's similar to when someone misgenders you. It's an investment in a version of you that you've tried very, very hard to move away from. that that it feels like people aren't putting the energy into accepting or understanding. naming um, is sufficiently harmful in terms of just like kind of rattling someone a little bit that I've heard it compared, and I'm not sure I entirely buy this comparison, but I've heard it compared to like offering narcotics to someone who's a recovering drug user. It's not that they're going to relapse. It's not that your gender is going to relapse. It's just that it feels it feels shaky and threatening and that you've worked really, really hard to build a life around uh, a new form of existence. And that deadnaming, um, it tells you that someone else isn't there yet. They haven't proceeded on that journey. And maybe that means they're not making that effort. And maybe it means they need more time. But either way, it, it's, it's a combination of disappointing and a little hurtful. Um, I love a lot of people who have inadvertently or intentionally deadnamed me. And I know that this is not intuitive to everyone. In fact, it's very difficult to understand what this feels like, and it's I'm, it's not something that I'm doing, you know, a flawless job of explaining because it's hard to communicate that. Um, I will say that if you if you this explanation has been sufficient and you bought in and you understand what I what I'm trying to say, or at least are willing to accept that it feels harmful in some way, um, here are some ways you can avoid deadnaming, and here are some contexts in which you should avoid deadnaming. Um, when you're talking about someone's past, use their current pronouns and, and use their current name. Um, you, you can say things like uh, who used a different name at the time, which might be necessary to the story to like, you know help some nuance of understanding. But if it's not, just don't like and you know, like who at the time was presenting as a blah, blah blah is maybe sometimes important to say or is maybe necessary context to fill someone in on what's happening there. But if it's not, just avoid it. Like, just dodge those things. And just talk about them like their history has existed for a long time. A lot of trans people feel robbed of history, robbed of years and years of their lives, like they lost out on childhoods or they lost out on significant things, like chapters of their life are better erased than acknowledged because it involves just acknowledging a period of time where you weren't seen right. If you can help those people retcon those experiences and buy them back for them by celebrating them as parts of who they are now, you get to give people back their childhoods. And that's pretty important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was that was a beautiful answer. Hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. I'm great. I know.
1: <laughs> I felt like I dawdled around a little bit there to the point, but dead naming is weird. It's just a weird experience. It's not like anything else that someone who's not trans can really probably identify with. And if it is, tell me. Like, tell me what the heck this is like for you. Like, if you've got an experience, that's ancillary.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do have um, the comments are open. If anyone wants to, we have a lot of love and support for Rebecca coming in from our, for our comments right now. It's all just wow, a smart chick, beautifully worded, nicely expressed opinions.
1: <laughs> I do
0: like the words, <laughs> and you're so good at them. So, um, I before we derail too much, um, I do want to um, have my own answer. <laughs> yes, please. So, I um, I just recently changed my name. I, like I, what's it been two months?
1: Somewhere in that neighborhood, yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you would know. <laughs> my biggest fan.
1: <laughs> like more like three months at this point. Like we're, we're in the. In oh yeah, the...
0: It, was, it was Anyway, details, details. So, um, I I um I essentially shortened my name to take off the more feminine part of it. So I like Ray. It has all the letters from my original name. Gets the job done, and it's a little inconspicuous that makes people question if they're not looking directly at me. (laughs) It's terrific. I like it, and I am way too easy on letting it go when people dead name me. I still, um, because my new name is a shortened version of my old name, it's like I've almost convinced myself that it's. that it's okay to be misgendered or that it's okay to be dead named and that it's um, that it's understandable or that like my old name doesn't count as a dead name, that it's not that serious, that I'm not as it's, it's something that a lot of um, non-binary people or just um, a lot of trans people deal with um, where you feel like you're not trans enough. And it's something that I still struggle with. And I like I've been out as non-binary for almost three years and I still struggle with not feeling like an efficient part of the trans community because not only do I have just people who aren't as welcoming because I need to just choose, or um, I've been called a, I think as a holidayer, <laughs> Ooh, Like Yeah. A, a trans tourist. Yeah, trans tourists. Uh, that's, that's that's pretty much it. And it's just like like I I'm not doing this as an experiment. It's not a fun hobby for me. Cool um, thing is,
1: it's yeah, a binary for a while. Back yeah, in college.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just like I I don't like the fact that like my parents are really mad at me about this. But um, we have a long-winded answer from Josh Jordan. So I'm gonna pull it up and then read it out loud. I ooh yeah. yeah. All okay. right. When you first made the public transition, I accidentally deadnamed you, and it made me feel so bad, I literally threw up. It doesn't feel good on either end if it's inadvertent. But, and I'm, I shouldn't be doing this, I don't have my glasses on, and I still apologize for it, even at the time you immediately forgave me.
1: Yeah, so like dead naming isn't, like it's not an awesome experience, right? But I, I try to handle things with grace uh, and, and Huh, this is a good segue to a tangent. I hope you don't mind. Oh, please. Um, the 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 sort of, you were making a point that I was thinking was interesting, and I think this is kind of related. The idea that like trans people try very, very hard to be graceful about our experience of transition, because we know it's foreign to a lot of folk, and there's a lot of pitfalls that are easy to fall into. And very, very thoughtful people I know still make honest, detonating mistakes, and very, um, uh, you know, like people who don't have a lot of information about the subject um, fall into those pitfalls more easily even if they're trying very hard to be thoughtful um so like I try really really hard to not respond angrily because I think there's a bit of a a stereotype of sort of like angry trans people and we're like we're a small portion of the population like a very small portion Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have never met a trans person or interacted with them at all um, so for me, sometimes I'm, I know I'm interacting with somebody like in a public facing part of my job when I'm like interacting with a customer or when I'm like talking to someone on the Internet and I might be the first trans person they have ever met and they might not meet another trans person for like 10 years. Like that's that's a possibility. Right. Mm-hmm. And I owe it to that person to leave an impression um, with the person I'm speaking with that I can be thoughtful and graceful and that mistakes happen and they're okay. And here's how to navigate that a little bit better. And I've got a lot of privilege. Like I I had a, a, like, you know, gender inconveniences aside that none of us had vocabulary to talk about yet. I had good parents. I had a thoughtful childhood. I had loving relatives and caring people. When I came out, I did not lose my job. I did not lose my, my relationship. My housing situation was not jeopardized. And I didn't have family members disown me. Like that is a very rare string of experiences. So I am incredibly lucky in all of those ways so i get to be somebody who can stand here on the shoulders of other people who've done labor so i can understand what it is to even talk about my gender experience and say like yeah no um it actually is a little bit different than you think whereas for someone else they might walk into that conversation with with fewer spoons with less um less available to them in terms of emotional resources to withstand that conversation and they might you know respond angrily or upset and that perpetuates a kind of experience where people think like oh, Jesus, the fucking people with their thing about the names and stuff and again and again and all the time and I'm trying so hard. I'm I'm, I'm a good person. And I think that's a really natural reflex to have that moment um, or to even just be filled with dread either in those conversations that you're going to screw up at some point and then what happens. And I think what happens, the best kind of thing that can happen is to avoid over apologizing. Um, It's a temptation because you feel like you've done a real harm. And i communicated to you that you've done a real harm. Um, but like, avoid over apologizing because um, that can shift the burden back onto a trans person to be like, no, 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 it's totally okay. It's totally okay. It's a nothing thing. Like they want it to. They want to move past that moment as much as you do. Let me tell you. Um, and uh, and just you know, acknowledge it. Do acknowledge it. Don't skip past it. Um, you know, if you're in a conversation and you're like, he, oh, I'm sorry, she. You know, of course, I I, like you know. In that moment, like, of course, I see you as a woman. Like, that's just the thing. I I I do it with other people. I do assist people too. Like, you start doing all those things, and then like, what you want to happen instead is to just be like. And then I'm sorry. I think I said he back there. I meant she, of course. Like that moment. That's what you need. Mm -hmm. You need that level of just tacit acknowledgement. You own it. You move on. You're done. That's the way to handle that situation. That's misgendering, but deadnaming is the same thing. Like, I, I think I used the wrong name for you before. I'm sorry. I know it's. Ray in this case, right? Um, That's the way to handle that circumstance. And even if it's a long time ago, I would still, I would own it. I would say like, Hey, you know, when there's a moment be like, Hey, we were having a good conversation the other day. And I think I I slipped into this and, and that's not, that's not something I want to do. So, you know, thanks for, you know, thanks for being graceful about it. Right. Um, I get people make that mistake. It happens. I'm not like, I'm not keeping a list anywhere. Like I'm not already starting this situation. Um, but I, I do, you know, I, I wish it didn't happen. And when it does, I'm, I'm glad we can move away from it together. And for some people it's a great opportunity to come to a better sense of understanding. And I think that's, that's awesome. Like who doesn't want to be able to make the world better and easier for other people. And I, I have a unique lens to be able to do that by being an advocate for the minority I happen to belong to.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's the tangent I wanted to point out just, you know, Folks can do better, and and we are um, our worst advocates. Like I'm way more likely to be militant, defensive, and just like upset about someone misgendering, you know, a friend or a person I care about, than I am about someone misgendering me. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody uses the wrong gender for me. I'm like, oh, um, hmm, did I hear them right? Maybe I didn't. I don't really want to correct them. And like with people who I love and I'm very close to, and I know they're actively working really hard to recalibrate their brains, I'll try to be right on top of it. And I'll say, like, you, you know, I don't correct you that right away because I think you're a bad person. I'm correcting you about that right away because I want you to—to to, you know—to help build those habits, and it yeah. takes a lot of time. And and yeah, I—you know—I haven't figured out a perfect script for it yet, but I want people I love and care about to know that I love and care about them, and also that you know it happens, and I want to help us do it less.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I finally, I finally, like, the, <laughs> like the the line of. Do I want to correct this person or not? Is um, it's hard to cross like like when it's like um, I I'll use an example. If I went out for breakfast with my mom and the server every time she came over, hey ladies, what can we get for you? Here you go, ladies. Sure, and hey, it's reflexive. It's normal. Yeah, and so it was just like one of those things where we weren't up. Like I wasn't mad about it. It was just a who. Every time she said it, it just just made me uncomfortable every time. And my mom, who does not usually respect my pronouns or my name or me, (laughs) um, was actively, like, I guess, mama-bearing the situation because she was getting upset and she was just like, like, should I say something? And and it was just this really interesting moment of, like, the only times I've heard my mom use my pronouns are when she's correcting other people.
1: (laughs) My my mom has actually been really good and she's tried really hard, but she is also like, she's at her absolute best when she is defending me against the, like an action, which I think is very, like it's a very real instinct. And I think it's kind of beautiful.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, mom's birthday last year, two of her friends who hadn't seen me since I was like really young, were just gushing about what a beautiful woman I had grown into. And they were just like, like they were really drunk and they were just like leaning on each other, just gushing about what a beautiful woman I am. And I'm just sitting there like a little, um, intoxicated myself and I was just like they're being nice but then my mom just turns around and just my my mom's a very short woman so you know (laughs) it just made it funnier just like like this little like dip in the crowd pretty much (laughs) just like like arms crossed just turns around hey she's a they.
1: Oh, almost. That's great. She's a they. She's a they. You can tell you're halfway there. Living on a prayer. Oh, you, you get to do the low-pressure die rolling moment now if you want.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. 5, 15, 19. 19. Oh
1: We're also using, like, dark, low-contrast dice in, like, shadowed lighting. So, you know, this is... This is, this is clearly the backup point.
0: Yeah. All right. So th- this one d- segues very well into what we were just talking about. Oh, good. It's so all connected. Everything is connected.
1: I haven't heard these questions before, so this is all, I'm on the spot.
0: Mm-hmm. So what expectations did you have for others when you came out?
1: Oh, God. Um, hmm. Well, I would say that coming out took a long time for me. Um, and I, I knew about my gender from a really young age, and I didn't know that there was something you could do about that or that there was a way to just not feel broken in that way. And then when I was about 17 or 18, I got close to being able to come out properly, come out. I came out to a few people, um, and and then I, I had some negative experiences coming out and came out to some people I was very, very close to who just sort of said, like, that will never be okay, and that sort of shut things off for me for a while. And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was after my dad died that I was talking to a therapist about, like, and, of course, I'm a trans woman, and, and my dad will never get to know that about myself because I'm da- he's dead now, and it, that sucks. And she was like, huh, do you want to go back a minute and, like, maybe talk about that for a second? And, uh, you know, things went from there. Um, so I had expectations. I had expectations that um, I could lose friends that I cared about a lot, um, that I could have people in my life just simply be unwilling to accept it. Um, but also, you know, does someone I love and care about die for me right now because they don't accept who I am or do I wait for them to die never knowing who I am? Like who am I to deprive the people I love and care about the opportunity to prove me wrong about that, to, to change that assumption. So I went in with, with some pessimism, you know, with some expectations that I'm going to lose people I care about. Um, and those conversations were very difficult, especially at the beginning, especially with the high stakes people who I, you know, I really cared about. Um, my, my boss at work, uh, Jay who has been an amazing part of my social support network. And I uh, was one of the early people I came out to because I, I knew I had to navigate with him. Like, how do I continue to be your manager in this role? Do you want me to still be your manager? Do you still think I'm a trustworthy person to spend time with your kids? Like those were the kind of questions that have been drilled into me by a world that sort of talks about transness as a kind of wrongness. Um I was very nervous coming out to his kids. I had expectations that they wouldn't get it and they would they would take weird issue with it or they'd have a whole bunch of things built up. Um, neither of those things were problems, even remotely. Jay was like you know I think I think it was um earlier this year he said that you know my transition has been an absolute asset to me as a, a skilled manager, that I'm more empathetic, able to understand with people, able to connect, able to to network and and draw connections in a way that I wasn't able to before that has been really positive for his business in a way that, you know, he would not have seen as um, like, you know, was an unexpected positive to, to a situation he definitely wanted to accept and understand because I was a person he cared about and wanted to care about. So I mean, it's not all bad. It's absolutely not. Um, I did not expect that it would be, a, you know, an easier way to do business in the world. Um, I thought if anything, it would only be a hurdle there. I did not expect that I would find new and compelling connections, relationships and friendships with people through transness, which I, case in point, I certainly have. Um, I did not expect the, the, like the cis women in my life who were amazing and supportive, who became like incredible allies and mentors and friends through just being able to see me a different way. Um, those were expectations I didn't have and, and they've been really amazing. I expected all of the bad things. I expected it to be losing a job and a career I love. I expected it to be losing a gaming community and an industry that I was passionate about. I expected it to not be able to travel to the US anymore. I expected it to be um, huge conflicts in my family that maybe never went away. Um, And I still knew I had to do it. And it was mostly none of those things and it was a lot of really amazing things so yeah i had some expectations yeah of course
0: <laughs> yeah it's um when i when i came out i had like the opposite expectation and that happened or like i um before I came out, um, before I was even like starting to question my own gender identity, mm. I I was seeing a non-binary person, and I brought them home to meet my parents, and everyone was so respectful with the pronouns. Like they had um, questions when they weren't around, like like what bathroom do they use, like like, like I'm gonna say like the basic cis questions, <laughs> sure. Just and, and like I did my best. Like, like I was still like very, very learning. So like I definitely answered things that I shouldn't have in <laughs> <laughs> but I like I was still learning and I was but my parents and my my brother and everything, like they were very just like, like oh we're just doing our best. This is new, so we're struggling, but we're trying and they like were fine. Hmm. So when I came like when I came to terms with my non-binary ness, <laughs> I decided, like, like, okay, I'm my parents were okay with them. Mm. So they already understand it. So they might have to struggle accepting that it's me now. But they got it. So I'm good. And I just went in absolutely like, hey, by the way, I'm non-binary. And I was all confident and cool. And they were just like, that's so inconvenient to us. And I was like. The stakes oh. are different,
1: I guess. Yeah. And, and that was.
0: Child. That's exactly it. Is it just like, like they had to say like, like, we didn't know them before we knew you. And now I'm just at a point of, okay, well, it's been three years and it takes the brain approximately 22 days to establish a new habit. So time is not on your side anymore. <laughs> and my pronouns are they, them. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It- may have run out of patience. <laughs> no, that's fair. It, it is interesting
1: that people who um, care so much about the person they used to know, that they're not willing to, to figure out in what ways they were wrong about that assessment. Yeah. And I feel like with parents, it's harder because I think parents, they feel like they make you. And that's like, that's partly true. Like, you know, your parents do form a lot of the person you end up being. And, and I guess they feel like they don't know you anymore, which is obviously not true. Like when I, when I, you know, when I came up to my, my, mother-in-law and then eventually my mom you know the conversation was very like I'm not a different person like I'm still the person I am this is just like a part of my life that you didn't really maybe necessarily totally know about and I want to share it with you because I still want you to be an important part of my life Mm -hmm. and that's like that's a hard conversation to have with people who necessarily and understandably have a hard time accepting it yeah so you know one of the fun features of being trans is having to do extra emotional labor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> over and over and over again. It's like there was, um, before I even started like questioning my sexuality, okay, not before I started questioning my sexuality, I came out questioning my sexuality. Anyway, <laughs> before I was consciously questioning my sexuality, um, I, I heard something that, or I read an article that was about how Anyone who's in the queer community is just, you spend your life coming out. Like you think Mm -hmm. there's the big come out where you tell your parents and then that's it because that's what we're told in the media. That's our interaction where you come out. It's a big thing that makes or breaks your life and then you continue. Yeah. But you have to come out every time you meet someone new and the topic comes up because it's just like, like there are, some situations where, yes, it doesn't matter to that relationship, but then there are other times where, I don't know, it might matter that my boss knows that I'm queer in case we have a party and I bring a partner. Like, it's a small, like, small stake. Like, they can't sure. do anything, but it's just one of those I would rather not have the conversation on the spot. Right. After show up
1: to the party, like, and they've had a couple of drinks already, and, and that, they're like, I like, didn't
0: you. know you were a gay. <laughs>
1: That's a that's a generous version of what that script might go like. It could sure look different than that, and it might use a different term. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I I wanted to say something to that, and I, my train of thought disappeared for a moment. You were talking about um, the process of coming out, right? Uh, quick quick quip. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the process of coming out and transitioning, like gender, is not binary. <laughs> What? It is a journey. It is a process, and it is not. There's not a moment.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, is it my turn? Am I it's, supposed to roll? Sorry. I, yeah, it's I'm, it's that's
0: okay. You're do you us. Like it's okay. I, uh, I rolled you. an
1: eight, which eight. if we were playing D and D would be unfortunate. Um, if we were playing War Machine, it would be fine. I believe you. But I'd be aggressively cheating be using a d20 for it. So you know, <laughs> little little sidebar to gaming for a minute there. That's
0: <laughs> most of my life. Yeah. What do we got? So. Why are trans people sexualized?
1: Ooh, um, okay, uh, that's a very large question, and I guess, um, like a lot of these questions, probably the first step is to define some of the terms a little bit. Um, when we talk about trans people, we talk about a lot of things. We're talking about like people who have different gender experiences, um, and sexualized. We're talking about like, um, you know, the so described fetishists, the the sort of like men who. Um, you know, are, and it's, it is unfortunately primarily men just because like most of the sexual agency belongs to men. Um, but people who are not interested in necessarily having sex with you because of the person you are or you know anything like that, um, but because of something specific about your anatomy, for example, like that that element of it that they' they're sort of, um, you know, they're objectifying. It's definitely that. They're turning you into nothing more than the sum of your your arrangement of particular body parts. And they're doing it in a way that is for the purpose of their sexual gratification with no acknowledgement of humanity or personhood that might exist. Why does it happen specifically to trans people? Well, um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, as a society, we don't have a great script for engaging with the humanity of trans people. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, um, trans women who are especially victim to this experience are women who are especially victim to the experience of being objectified. Um, three, I think trans people are looked down on as like a sort of social lower class experience or like something somewhat monstrous. And we spend a lot of our lives being seen as something monstrous and having that script be given to us. So it can often have um, complicated relationships to body image and self-esteem and confidence and all those things. So um, we can find ourselves uh, seeking unhealthy validation in accepting that, um, or we can um, you know, be in a position where men believe you know, internalized transphobia or uh, culturally understood transphobia, that that script means that their, their act of desiring you is some kind of a charitability. Um, I think there's also something that, uh, to the notion that, like, there's a kind of tabooness, uh, there's a social fetishization of certain anatomical features that allows men who are, like, attracted to... Um, you know, the female body, but who are um, like stimulated, aroused, or or brought to a different place mm-hmm. erotic setting, wrong or inappropriate, uh, combine those things for a sort of juxtaposition of experience that allows them a heightened level of erotic arousal. Uh, that's probably more detailed than some people were necessarily thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that we kind of like, you know, trans women specifically, like my experience, we deal with like, like I have been approached uh, by folks who are like, you know i would i would have sex with you i'm i'm you know pansexual or i'm also attracted to to men or i'm a little bit queer so it's okay to want that, that i would want to have sex with you or like you know i'm i'm very um, like deviant in my sexuality so you're an okay person like I've, I've had that level of engagement and i know that sometimes that's people who are like i'm also a member of the queer community so i see us existing in this umbrella place Um, and there's commonality in our experience, but then sometimes that's a different thing. And it's like, either do you one, not see me as a woman, which I am, and you know, your attraction to me is pretty heterosexual in a lot of ways. Um, In in fact, most ways and kind of dehumanizing too. Um, Or two, are you trying to like draw attention to the fact that you see my gender experience as either non-passing or non-conforming or wrong in some way that you want to talk about as a socialized experience? I don't think the way that trans women are uh, objectified, dehumanized, and sexualized is that different from the way that lots of women are objectified, dehumanized, and sexualized. Yeah, um but I think any otherness is often a fetish, mm-hmm. and I think um that fetish can be you know like a you know fun sexual interest like I enjoy when someone who I'm romantically involved in wants to engage romantically with me. Um, but I also, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to be treated just as my parts or just as my anatomy or as, you know, some kind of sexual object that I should be grateful for this objectification, like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That's maybe a bit long-winded, but if, if if that, you know, that kind of gets at some of those things, there might be like a, like an iceberg of experience there. And I'm sort of giving you just the, the tip of it. Um, but, uh, but there's lots going on there. Mm -hmm. and there's like there's certain vocabulary and there's there's women who find themselves like trans women are also like as a percentage more likely to end up in sex work than um the average woman because they're more likely to have housing and job insecurity which means like a lot of women who turn to sex work they do so because of material circumstances and not like a desire to do it so um there's a lot and and like Trans women are very sought after in sex work for a lot of those, like sexualization and those experiences. I don't think there's anything about my gender expression that's inherently worth sexualizing. Um but some folks do. And I don't I don't really like that. It doesn't feel good. It kind of makes me feel a bit uncomfortable or kind of creepy. Okay. But um, you know, it's there, it's happening. And I've I've outlined maybe some of the reasons why it might happen.
0: Yeah.
1: Other people might have, you know, different opinions.
0: Yeah, it it is one of the, it's one of those questions that have many different answers, many different, yeah, exactly. Like many different perspectives. And that was yours and I appreciated it and I enjoyed all of the words that you made. Oh, thanks.
1: Like I'm also (laughs) not a sex worker. So like, I don't know that lens, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've I've never done any pornography and I I don't have an OnlyFans or anything like that. So like, that's not something that's like front and center of my lived experience, but Mm -hmm. even having it, even with it not being something that's very essential to my experience, And even not being someone who's like, you know, I mean, no one's, most folks shouldn't be going out and doing lots of dating in this world right now, but like even having it not be central to my experience, um, it's still something that I do encounter. Like it's still something that comes up because it's, you're, you're right. It is, it is a feature of that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm nattering a bit here, but. Oh,
0: thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's um, I, follow-up question. <laughs> do you think that the um, sexualization of trans people also contributes to the demonization?
1: Um, do I think the sexualization of trans people also contributes to the demonization? I think the sexualization of trans women contributes to killing trans women. Um, I think it's pretty common for men to um, like find themselves attracted to a trans woman because like trans women are women and men, heterosexual men are typically attracted to women. Um, And then even to find themselves experiencing significant sexual gratification and feel like somehow they've been tricked into having sex with a man because of a cultural script that talks about things like um, trans women as traps, which is a slur, um, or talks about trans women as like baiting men or something like that. Like as if um, a homosexual man would want to sleep with a straight man by tricking him For one thing, that's, like, deeply unsafe and also probably not very sexually gratifying for the homosexual man. Um, But, like, that's not a thing that happens, but I think it's very in the script that, like, I'm going to get tricked into having homosexual sex and I'm going to enjoy it. And then what am I going to do? And I think, like, men need to excise themselves that experience, and that turns into a situation where men have sex with trans women and then end up killing them. And like, I'm not saying that happens to every man, but it certainly is a violence that any trans woman who's a sex worker or even a trans woman who wants to have sex with a man is going to potentially risk. That's just a thing that happens in huge statistical numbers Mm -hmm. and it's a feature of the way the world is. So, you know, I have to assume that those scary, dangerous men who want to sleep with me and then kill me exist in the world. And it makes me look at people a little bit differently. And that's that's sad. Like, that's not fun. I don't want to think that way about the people in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, didn't, I didn't have to before, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yes, I think it contributes to demonization. Um, but maybe, maybe mostly in that um, it, it contributes to a sort of cycle of violence that's more to do with like our demonization of homosexuality than it is to do with transness. Again, yeah. I think transness gets um it gets tied up pretty tightly in ideas of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't um it doesn't exist only in that space.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did Absolutely. you do you want to roll another number? Yeah. <laughs> or do you
0: want to <laughs> <laughs>
1: follow up question to a question I was deeply unqualified to
0: answer. So I'm doing my best. Yeah, it's okay. You are doing good. Thank I, you. I've been enjoying this a lot. So it's um Good checking. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate your answers. They've been so good. Like, um, I think that a lot of people may be surprised when you dropped that you didn't have the questions already because, well, you're just very informative. I speak well off account. I may have had a moment of, is she peeking? I I mean, I'm looking
1: like Uh, as you roll the number, but only because I want to see if we've done this one already or not. Yeah. (laughs) Have
0: we? Yeah, yeah, I'm going up. Okay. How have you experienced and handled dysphoric moments while gaming? Huh, okay, good question. So this does
1: happen. Um, you know, I, I, I attended a, a convention as an out person and I also attended conventions like as a, um, like a pre-transition human being who also still was a woman and still had dysphoria. Um, so like this happens and it happened to me before and it happened to me afterward. And I definitely hid behind a lot of positive inclusivity feminism to justify being able to assert my belonging in spaces. Like, you know, someone would say like, hey guys, how's it going? And I'd be like, hey, you know, I know there's not like necessarily any women around right now, but can we just avoid saying, hey guys, why do we just say folks or y'all or something like that? That's maybe a little more gender inclusive. We want to create a gaming environment that's more inviting to more people and including women in those conversations is valuable. Um, and like, that was a, pitch that I made sometimes that sometimes people would listen to and respect, which I really was grateful for. Um, But was for me sometimes a lot about the fact that when someone said, Hey guys, I I knew I was being um, categorized in a way that I was at the time presenting and it wasn't their fault, but it still felt crappy and it still wasn't me and it still didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. So I turned my um, feelings of sadness and emptiness inside Mm -hmm. into positive political action because I'm an optimist and I'm nauseatingly positive. Um, but not everyone can do that. So sometimes moments of dysphoria are best handled, like moments of anxiety, depression, or panic, or any other emotion that's very similar. You take a moment to ground yourself in your own experience to recenter. You smell the things around you. You name five things you can see. You, you really like recenter in a meditative way. And then you just kind of try to work through the feeling. Uh, don't push the emotion down. That will turn you to years of being in the closet, which I would not recommend to anyone who wants to live. Um, but do uh, feel it, experience it, and move through it. Um, the like script about fear from Dune is a pretty good beginning of that process. Um, but uh, that, that that works well for dysphoria too. Um, I will. That was like a super nerd answer. I apologize. Um, I will say that like you know, being in a group of people has an amazing feeling of acceptance and joy for me. And then being in that same group of people uh, when I I suddenly get dysphoric, especially about the way that I'm feeling seen in that moment, um, it can flip that script for me immediately. And uh, I had a really amazing experience at uh, Warfare Weekend, uh, which was a challenging convention I went to last year, Uh, challenging only because it was my first fully out convention. And it was in the US in St. Louis, which is the South for those who are keeping notes at home. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, my friend, Brett Fogel, who's a great human being and somebody I liked beforehand and like more now. Um, you know, I was just chatting to some people and he just came over and he just said like, hey, Rebecca, it's great to see you. He used my name right away, my accurate pronouns, you know, engaged in conversation and more importantly, didn't treat it as if he was meeting me for the first time or he didn't know me before. He brought up stories from our shared past Talked about them with excitement. He said, Rebecca has always been big on blah, blah, blah when it was organic in conversation or came up and was natural, connecting the shared history and the past we had together to my identity and my pronouns made me feel real and normal and alive in that moment. And that was an experience where I'd spent a lot of the convention anxious about how I was being seen and really feeling a lot of dysphoria. So, one of the things that I will do when I'm feeling especially dysphoric is I will find someone who I know is a good capable ally who has the tools and the resources to help me. And I'll just try to kind of be with them a little bit to kind of feel seen in the way I need to be seen a little bit more. And I don't always make a point of it. I don't always say something about it, but I do try to maybe kind of hang on to somebody a little bit while I'm kind of recentering. And some of my, um, Some of my best allies and best sort of cis friends in those moments are the kind of people who can just sort of read the room, not necessarily make a huge fuss about it, but really just do a little bit to affirm me in those moments and help me kind of reset. So yeah, the gaming community can be great. And also it can be like, um, (laughs) it can be a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, like everywhere, everywhere can be. And like mm-hmm. gamers are just people and, and you know, they, they skew demographically a certain way, but they're also usually intellectual, intelligent, engaged, and they can learn and they can adapt. And like you 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 tell me a gamer can't learn new pronouns. Gamers learn new metagames every six months. Like they are fully capable of <laughs> learning new things. They are smart and savvy. Mm-hmm. And anyone in a gaming community who is not willing to adapt. To uh, someone's changed gender expression has made a choice, isn't in- incapable of anything, and that makes the the acceptance feel great and feel present, and it makes the lack of acceptance feel conscious and hurtful. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's a scene. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, what was next? Where, where where did we end up?
0: Yeah. Um... We ended up right where we need to be.
1: Good. Am I, am I rolling? Is that the next thing? Are we, are we yeah, you're
0: rolling. Um, oh, and we, we got a joke. Someone some, someone commented a joke. I'm going to share it because sure, I go for it.
1: It's, it's on <laughs> so, brand for you as a comedian. You yeah, got to share exactly. the jokes.
0: <laughs> So, um, Brian Fox, I wouldn't oh, recommend Brian. the smell for things around you at a gaming convention.
1: <laughs> you know, like, okay, so that's a joke and legit, I get what you're trying to say. Um, but having said that, like, you know, that smell for things is supposed to just like make you feel like alive and grounded in the moment. And you really do know that you're experiencing sensation and you're not uh, being dissociative or getting outside your body or feeling disconnected from life when you are grounded by um, someone who's not abiding by the shower once every day convention rule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And gaming conventions aren't that bad. To anyone who's never been to a gaming convention we joke and it we talk like it smells worse than it does.
0: Yeah. There's always like the con funk where it's honestly comic cons are because you have smelly cosplayers.
1: Cosplayers are, are the worst. <laughs> uh anyone who's, you know, gonna costume, I'm I'm just giving you our time. Um <laughs> yeah, no, but like literally like if you're gonna put layers and layers of leather on, like
0: you're going yeah. to have
1: consequences. Especially
0: when you wear that costume to several different conventions and you can't wash it.
1: Because <sighs> it's made out of whatever. Felt and yeah. magic. Yeah. Hot glue. I, <laughs>
0: life of me and I respect everyone who does it. Yeah. Um,
1: my turn? Your turn? We we'll
0: call it your turn. All right. That seems made up, but okay. Yeah, it was mine. Uh, <laughs> nine. Nine. Six. <laughs> it was upside down. It's actually a six. Perfect. Um, Why aren't there more women gamers?
1: Fair question. Well, I'm doing everything I can. I've literally subtracted one man and added a woman. So like, I feel like I'm doing my part. Why aren't there more women gamers? Um, (laughs) I think it's challenging. It was a trans joke for those folks who didn't necessarily get it at home. See, because of the thing with the, yeah, no. Um, Why aren't there more women gamers? So that's a big question and a fairly loaded one. I think a big part of it is just um, they don't necessarily see themselves in, um, you know, in the community and they don't necessarily feel invited and respected. Um, A lot of very capable women I know game and are very good at gaming. And they still don't necessarily want to go to a competitive tournament environment or a big convention because they know that they're gonna play against somebody who's like, so do you know the rules? Or so are you here with your boyfriend? Like they're gonna get some of those things. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that you would treat uh, another player the same way, like that way. It's just not very respectful. And Mm -hmm. I think that kind of gatekeeping makes it harder for people. And I think that reflex comes from even, like, kind of a nice place where, you know, men aren't necessarily used to seeing women gamers, and they think to themselves, like, I'm going to do a thoughtful thing by making it easier for them, by, like, helping them with the rules that they're probably struggling with, because I haven't seen a lot of women gaming, so they're probably new. Um, that's not as thoughtful as you think it is. And it, it comes from a good place, but has a bad consequence, um, especially gatekeeping, where, like, women aren't. Treated with as much respect in the gaming community can be especially tough. I know some very, um, like some, you know, tigress women who are fantastic advocates, and you do really, really well in the gaming community. And I know some, some of them have some horror stories. Uh, We we don't treat our women gamers with the respect that they deserve. Uh, And I'm not talking about opening doors. I'm maybe some talking about not opening doors. Like if you're across the table from somebody and you're you're throwing down and you're playing an adversarial doll game, um, treat them like they're a good opponent, treat them with respect, you know, give them the handshake they deserve, you know, play your best game against them. And, you know, whatever happens at the end of that game, like you should, you should be able to treat them with humanity. Um, And I think we're not perfect at that. And here's the thing. And and I can speak to this, not necessarily as a woman, but as a trans person, Um, I can have a hundred to par experiences in a gaming convention and those to par experience can, experiences can have represented legitimate effort on behalf of the gamers I'm playing with. Some people might have a reflex to treat me differently because I'm trans and they can consciously and with energy, they can choose to treat me base level respectful and that will make my experience acceptable. But then when I have one experience where someone is unacceptable in their behavior, um, it can sour the whole moment and it can remind me that this isn't the place for me. And that's a really hard takeaway. And when I used to run the Southern Ontario Open, which is like a big gaming convention, uh, one of the sort of the expressions that, that Matt Clark, who was the, the sort of co-organizer of it at the time, he and I would we'd sit down and we'd say, okay, our goal here is to make sure everyone has a takeaway from this convention that's amazing for them, like a moment that makes their con, right? So, you know, he and I would do a lot of, like, wandering around the scene and talking to people and just, like, really connecting with them. And sometimes it was enough to be talking to one of the organizers and, like, have a really great moment. And sometimes it was somebody who's like, ah, I just scrubbed out the tournament, I didn't have a good time. We'd be like, hey, did you hear about Iron Arena? Do you want to get in some games? You're like, like, I'll introduce you to so-and-so. We'd introduce them to somebody who was, like, a a great, really fun person to play against. So we try to, like, make their moment. I think when it comes to people who have minority experiences, they're coming to that convention uh, already having done a little bit more climbing a ladder to get there and a little bit more climbing a ladder to have built in themselves and expectations that this time will be different, this time will be OK. I don't have to worry about as much as I think I do. And you need to meet that expectation. Uh, and you also need to find a way to not buy into the things that are maybe very reflexive that can make the environment harder for them to be in. Um, Stop trying to think about it as how how do we you know like how do I treat this woman and start trying to think about like how do I treat this opponent respectfully, and then um, this is a big question so I'm only going to answer some parts of it. That's a good part to answer and it's one that speaks well to my lens. Um, I will also say, and I, I was certainly guilty of this pre-transition and probably in some ways I'm guilty of it post-transition as well. Uh, the ways we have conversations in the gaming industry, a sphere primarily dominated by a particular type of men um don't always invite people who uh have a different experience there they don't always um give those people space to be and to feel safe um i have definitely um heard a lot of people use very very transphobic and transmisogynistic um language, uh, and I've definitely heard people use a lot of really inappropriate uh, language descriptors and and humor around um, things like sexual assault and things like women's bodies and women's experiences. I'm not saying you can't have fun, you can't laugh, and you can't joke around. I love all of those things for my communities, but when you're punching down as hard as you are, you're just not trying. You're not putting enough energy into it. And like, we're creative, brilliant people who are great at the games that we play. Like you're playing the same list over and over again. You're trying the same matchup and you're just doing it because it feels easy and it's simple. And if someone told you it didn't it didn't win games anymore, and wasn't winning tournaments, you'd change it, you'd adapt to it, you'd do a different thing. And what I'm telling you right now is the way that we're talking in these gaming circles don't win tournaments. They don't invite new people. They don't make people feel good and it's just not worth playing them anymore. Yeah. So yeah, there's more there. Like there's a bunch more there, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. ways that there's ways that we exclude people all the time. And some people are even invested in that exclusion and some people just don't know how to fix it. Um, But for me, I think there's, there's stuff we can do. There are tangible action items that can invite more women into these spheres. Yeah, Cause they're like, you know, People love games. They're designed beautifully, and that's not a gendered experience. And it certainly doesn't have to be. You're right. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Anyway, that's that's uh, that's heavy answer. You know, getting into whole big questions. (laughs) All right, fine. Keep asking (laughs) the big questions. Right, it's your show.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I'm in (laughs) charge. Yeah, um, so we have another um, comment from Josh Jordan. So I will pull it up. We have, an opponent is an opponent. They should be viewed as genderless. As a judge, i's, I've personally had to deal with women being looked down on or mistrusted on rules just because of their gender. Not a good look.
1: <laughs> it's not It's not a good look, you're, you're absolutely right, Josh. And, and you're right, like, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to spend a big part of the show talking about how important acknowledging my gender has been to my experience of coming out. And then also talk about how important it is to not acknowledge people's gender, but context, context is king here. Uh, or queen as the case may be. Uh, I'm not sure what the NB term for context being important is. Probably just important. Um, yeah. Like don't, don't treat someone, don't treat some someone lesser. Don't treat someone with less respect because of something that they're presenting to you in terms of a, a minority or even a majority experience. Don't treat them as a worse version of someone else that you would treat with decency. Um, you know, if, if there's something like, don't, you know, if you're playing against somebody in a wheelchair, don't be like an opponent is an opponent. So I'm going to make them sit on the side of the table. They can't sit on, like figure out a way to flip your board. Like don't fail to accommodate people. Don't fail to acknowledge something obvious about them, mm-hmm. but do like, you know, be decent.
0: Be decent. Yeah. I am I'll, take this moment to share a personal philosophy that I have. Um, it's, it's, it's gotten me through a lot of my life. It helps me a lot. It's, um, don't be a dick. (laughs) It's a very simple way to go about life. It's, um, when you go to, um, do a thing, you think about the thing and then you think to yourself, could I be perceived as a dick if I do this? And if the answer is yes, and you still do it, I think you're being a dick. And like,
1: if someone (laughs) says like, Hey, you're doing a thing. And I think it's not okay. The reflex is to say, yes, it is. And that's kind of a dickish reflex. So maybe sometimes like listen to people who are being critical of your behavior, and say like, okay, what? and like sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're being hypersensitive and that's a thing that happens. But a lot of the time it's not gonna cost you much to be able to sit back and say like, okay, are you right? Let's engage. Mm
0: -hmm. It's so important to consider just what you are saying is upsetting someone and causing a reaction and it is important to address it. It doesn't, um, in that moment when someone's upset, it's not as important if you're right or wrong it's you have upset someone and you should get to the bottom of it. You should discuss it, figure it out, and you should do better.
1: Yeah, or at least validate their feelings. That's yeah. at least step one, right? I mean that's that's conflict resolution one-on-one stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. We have a large comment here from Mark McWham Mark McWarhammer pants. Oh, good. Shows the whole thing. I'm glad. My experiences as a TO for Warhammer 40K, I have only ever seen women attend as a partner with their boyfriend, and they rarely know how to play. This is the only experience any of the 40K tournament goers have with women in the game. I try to get women to play, but they just have no desire to, and they don't even know anything of the gatekeeping at all. They don't have any desire to play. Any thoughts on getting women to even attempt to play?
1: Sure. So um, yeah, you're right that women in the gaming community is a bigger question than the way that I've presented it. Um, gatekeeping is a way that as gamers we can directly address our behavior to be more inviting to the women who've already stepped up to that conversation. But we talked earlier about representation and um, a lot of women that I know and really have a lot of respect for were just so excited about the release of the Sisters of Battle range Um, the the re-release of it, pardon me, because there had been such a long period of time where just like seeing yourself in the game of Warhammer was virtually impossible. Female Space Marines are a thing that a lot of women bandy about as like there are like 10 flagship factions this whole game is about and they're all genetically men and there's no women in that. Like this is a game for men, by men, about men. And I think it's really, really hard to sell someone on a game for men, by men, about men when they're like, okay, but like, what 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 kind of characters are there available if I'm like a like you know if I want to play something like as a woman? What's what's an option for me? And there have been women who've done some really cool reclamatory stuff in that space. They play like tyrannids and like sort of like hive mothers and like brood mothers and like those kind of things, um, or they played like some of the slightly more mixed race alien figures. Um, but it's only recently that Kim's Workshop has done even a marginally good job of not having every single woman who exists in the game be hypersexualized and every single base version of something be a man. Um that's an adjustment, like that's a shift. And it's a very recent shift, like a in the last handful of years shift. And it's a shift that's been met with a lot of positivity from women excited about seeing themselves better represented in a game or more excited about a game or seeing like a, a buff. Guard captain be a, a woman, like, you know, yeah. appropriately figured and not over sexualized. Um, that's something that, you know, that we've seen a lot of excitement from. But the flip side of this, we've also seen some really, really intense vitriol, and primarily on the internet, again, not necessarily in those from the local gaming store spaces. But that vitriol is, you know, it, it lives and it, it breathes in the experience of the people around it. So if I'm a woman talking about Warhammer for the first time, you know, with somebody, I'm, I'm asking like, what, what's it like, right? And it's like a lot of things. And it's hard to talk about Warhammer without talking about the ways that it's it's a bros game in a lot of ways. Uh, and there's there's been a shift, but it's a slow and a gradual one. For one thing, 40K still talks about the empire of mankind. And in the late 80s, we shifted to saying humanity most of the time. Or even in some cases, humankind when it's necessary to classify that way. And it's very much talked about as that kind of a thing. Um, Inclusivity is a big puzzle. It's a hard one, and I think some people will point to women saying, "I'm just not really into that kind of thing," as an example of why that gender uh, that gender divide exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I think that's that's an oversimplification of it. The reality is, the overwhelming majority of people aren't interested in. Um, deep, engrossing, tactical, strategy, miniature wargaming. It's a niche, but it's a really popular and really successful niche for the people who learn about it and get passionate about it. And I know lots of people who started playing by saying, ah, when I was growing up, I saw like a couple of minis, like some people playing it, and I always kind of wanted to get into it. And I'm so excited that I've got some disposable income and I've got a good group of friends who are getting into it, and I'm going to jump into this and I'm really into it. And they never encounter resistance going from that place the journey of becoming a competitive tournament-going wargamer. And I know women who are in a place of saying, like, I saw those things, the figures that you paint and stuff, and I think that seems kind of cool, who are at that beginning place, and their journey to get to competitive tournament-going wargamer has a lot more hurdles to jump over. That
0: was very wonderfully said.
1: No, Thanks. You're
0: welcome. Um, Do we want another um, comment or another question?
1: It's your show. You get to decide. I'm just a guest.
0: You are my guest, and what you want also matters, but I am going to pull up the comment.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Do
0: it. Go ahead. I'm in charge. Anyway. Brian Fox. Speaking of fixing inclusion in gaming, is there a way to be more inclusive in a setting like 40K, just the most extreme example I can think of without being pandering or just aggressively retconning, retconning a la J.K. Rowling.
1: I'm glad you brought up J.K. Rowling on the show about trans rights. Right? Um,
0: <laughs> That's why I was like, we're doing this comment.
1: I've got a, I've got a complicated relationship with Joanne these days. She's uh, She's been on the wrong side of history a couple of times on Twitter lately. Um, so without giving her more space than she deserves because she's already got a billion plus dollar platform and she's a uh, which is not probably something that needs to be the focus of the conversation. Um, Is there a way that a world could be more inclusive to a variety of people, including especially women? Yeah, absolutely, right? Like, could 40K not say the empire of mankind? Could it say humanity? Could Sisters of Battle be, like, a broadly seen, acknowledged, and respected faction that's given, you know, core codex treatment? Awesome. That's new, and it's great, and it's huge. And it has got so many women talking to me about like, I'm just so excited to make an army now. And those are just the ones that talk to me, right? Like, that's great. I bought a box, I was all over it. Um, could, you know, the guard pack include, you know, a set of sprues with female identifiable heads that allow you to put them on those bodies and have them work out. And, and you know, would that be all that needs to be done because someone wearing power armor doesn't need to have a boot plate on the front of it or, you know, power armor, high heels, uh, which is still a thing that brand new sculpted models are produced with every day in these gaming industries. Yeah, I think there's a thousand things that could be done there. The re-sculpting of core Space Marines with Primaris Space Marines are an example of a gentle adjustment to when we made this, it was the eighties and things looked a certain way and the technology has gotten better and the understanding has gotten better and we can make these people look more like the, the beings they're supposed to be. We could do that with every female sculpt in the Games Workshop range. And it's a, it's a chore that should be undergone and could make things feel better. That's just the mechanical physical product in front of you. The stories that are being told are also getting better, um, but they could be a lot better still. Um, how would a fantasy world go about doing this? Well, I think we talked a little bit about representation before. I think one of the steps to do is to just actively consult people who've got good perspective on it. Like I'm not saying we should make sure that we've got trans people of color authors. That sounds great, but even not even doing that, like just Hey, I wrote this black character in a book. Can someone read this just to make sure I'm not being like weirdly racist in a way I'm not even conscious of? And then have someone read it and be like, the fact that he comes from the jungle and is kind of talked about as a savage person all the time. Is there another way we could do that? Like, that's a thing. That's something that would be really easy to just have a consultant talk about. Um, Just bringing in more people who've got some perspective and have got some lensing and can do some stuff about, you know, making those games bigger, you know, making those communities larger. And, and then we just need to take the people who say like this project is pointless and we should never do this and it's not worth inviting new people into gaming because I like the people I already have in gaming and I'm going to keep liking them until they turn 80 and die. We just need to tell those people like this game isn't for you. And Games Workshop has done a good job earlier this year of releasing a big public statement that's about that. But actions are louder than words and they still have a setting that is a satire of fascism that is feeling increasingly less and less satirical. And there maybe needs to be a second chapter to that particular statement.
0: All right. Um, all right, so we're going to do one more question and then we're going, one more comment, and then we're going to hop back to the questions. So, um, Mark with hammer pants again. <laughs> AOS has such a much better female represented model range. Do you find more women play that versus 40K or other games with less representation?
1: Okay, so AOS is short for Age of Sigmar, for folks who might not know, which is a a, a sort of descendant of Warhammer Fantasy Battle or Warhammer Fantasy, um, which is sort of the OG fantasy, um, Tolkien-esque inspired uh, miniature game. Um, it's not the Lord of the Rings miniature game, but it's like, it's in that fantasy world with elves and dwarves, et cetera. just uh, of is a little bit more high fantasy, a little bit pulpier, and as Mark points out, it does have a better representation of women in the range. Uh, from the ground up, they made their flagship army um, has, has representation from more than, in fact, two genders. There's non-binary gender characters who are talked about in the fiction. Um, very briefly, again, but representation matters, so it's cool that that's a thing that I can say out loud. Um, their, their core range is about that. Do I see more women playing it? Yes, at a local store level, still not a lot of market penetration there. Do I sell more of it to women than I do 40K as a percentage of sales? Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, More women are excited to buy things that include their characters in it. And more women are excited to play a game in a world where there are women and are not hypersexualized, even if they're not playing with them, which is an interesting kind of insight. Because I'll see people say like, oh, my brother's wife also plays and she has a whole army of dwarves and they're all men and she doesn't seem to care. And like, maybe, or maybe the way you're asking that question doesn't really give her an opportunity to express her caring. Or maybe she'd be even happier to know that there were options for people like her and that she belonged in that game. Maybe not. Like maybe all those things aren't true. But I think those are steps that could include what representation looks like. And you know, this is, this is a big topic and, and not necessarily your whole show's topic. So like we don't have to talk endlessly about representation. It's a bit of a passion of mine. I do want to bring more people into gaming, um, but you know, it's.
0: <laughs> yeah, it being a passion of yours is exactly why I wanted you to talk about it. You're well, fine. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome to um, discuss and make words with your mouth. You're doing a good job and I appreciate it. Thank
1: you. The mouth words, they're my thing. The mouth words. Ta-da. Whole background around it. Anyway.
0: All right. We're gonna I think it's mine, turn. Probably. Because I, I made you go fine. like three times in a row. <laughs> that sounds right. It does. Eleven. Twelve. All right. Um, do you feel like your transition has been public?
1: Um good question. In some ways, absolutely yes, right. Um, I you know, I made a like a big Facebook post to the twelve hundred friends on Facebook that I have or whatever Um, we've got like quite a few subscribers on my channel arcane assist. And that was a conversation that was, you know, we took a hiatus. We explained the hiatus was basically about the need for transition. We're not taking a second hiatus because of COVID, but that's not really my fault. Um, (laughs) And, and that has been like, that was something that I, you know, I talked about, I I have been on podcasts with, uh, with Jay Larson. He, He runs the meta and asked me on an episode to talk about transition, my experience around that. I have. I was on a charity stream for some some friends in the UK who were doing a charity fundraiser for mermaids, and you know when they asked, would you be willing to play some games with us on the stream? I said Ob- obviously and absolutely. Like this is a cause I can't say no to. Um, so not only is it something that I'm very passionate about, but I've been really really happy and excited to be able to be like a very visible figure in the gaming community. That I've had quite a few people reach out to me asking questions about. And that's because I put that out there. Like I'm not I'm not critical of that. I, I don't have any objection to it. I invite and I appreciate people asking me questions about like, you know, there's someone in my life I care about who's having some gender questions and I want to be a better ally to them. I myself am having some gender questions and I need a confidant to really bounce some of those experiences off, or simply I don't know another trans person other than knowing of you, like in, in many of these cases, it's not even knowing you, it's knowing of you, like it's knowing you as a figure in a community and being able to say like, I want to know more, I want to be a better potential ally, but I have questions that I don't know how to ask and I, I need help with that. And I, I want to be that for people. Like I, I'm very happy to be that. So the question was my transition public. Um, some elements of transition are necessarily and needfully always private, Right. Um, I, you know, you get asked some pretty personal questions, and I don't always answer those questions. Sometimes I gently deflect them and maybe educate why that's not a question that's really appropriate to ask. Um, but I think many elements of my transition have been quite public. Um, I think a lot of people are aware of what's happened for me. I mean, I think not only am I like a known name in the gaming scene, but I was I was a known name before with a, a now dead name, like. Those things don't go away, and I don't want them to. I'm very proud of the fact that my transition gets to be something that allows me to do public good. It's a uh, sort of service-minded perspective.
0: Yeah, that's, that is an awesome perspective to have, and I'm really glad that you have it. Me too. <laughs> well, yes, of course you're glad. It was It was <laughs>
1: touch and go for a bit there, because suicide rates are pretty high among trans people. For a while, I was the statistically most likely person to kill myself in a
0: room. Oh, good. Yeah, that's just
1: a, a little trans joke there. We slip them in from time to time.
0: Yeah,
1: dark humor. It's like food. Not everyone gets it.
0: All right. Um, we have some um questions about brawl machine.
1: Cool. Yeah, brawl machine is um, a slightly more introductory format, uh, designed in part by the line of sight guys. who have done a lot of great work around it. It's mostly been beta tested on a digital format for playing War Machine because a lot of people are playing War Machine digitally but it's a bit of a cumbersome game to play digitally. So Brawl Machine scales those things down pretty aggressively and it's kind of a brand new game existing within another game's space. Uh, As a result, there's a lot of things in it right now that are kind of vaguely broken and they're working really, really hard to tune those elements. Um, I think it's a great way to play on War Table if you're a War Machine player and you're keen about getting your doll itch on which sounds like something that I don't mean it to be. Uh, if you're excited about playing some tabletop games, definitely check out Brawl Machine. It's cool, it's fun, and it's worth worth trying. If you don't know what I'm talking about at all, because you're not a War Machine player or a miniature gamer or anything like that, um, some people like uh, games that let them use toys, and sometimes it's better to use fewer toys, because then you can play them out, easily.
0: Hooray! All right. All right, got the doll itch um, scratched, and we're going to <laughs> carry on.
1: <laughs> doll itch. Nah, I said that out loud. a I meme. Mean.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I'm just copying from the comments. So. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. It, it wasn't me. It was Josh Junior. Number... 13, Church. which happens to be the next question that we have. Well, so at some point I, we're
1: going to be going in order because
0: we'll just. Yeah. Eventually, we will we'll just be rolling for fun. Fair. Alrighty. Um, this is one that I feel like we've touched on. So, um, I've been a little all over the place. Is that your point? No, no, no. no, no, no. Anyway, true. how can game designers have trans representation without resorting to stereotypes?
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, no, this is totally good. Um, so, uh, I was talking to a friend who was not a game designer, but like just writing an RPG, like a D and D campaign. And I was like, Hey, friend who I care about, so I'm gonna challenge you on shit because that's what friendship is about. Hashtag Aristotle. Um, why, like, do you include trans and non-binary people in your RPGs? And he was like, oh, mm, not like deliberately, not like consciously, but I do it if like the story takes me to that place. And I was like, okay, cool. You're an ex- a receptive person, but have you thought about the fact that that might put you in dangerous territory in, like, in terms of just playing on tropes? Or feeling like the story took you there when you're telling a story similar to or adjacent to some of the other trans stories that you've seen in media, which are almost always trauma narratives. And he was like, no, I hadn't thought about it that way. And the conversation continued into a place of friendship and delight. Um, But my point is, if you're a game designer and you're trying to include trans representation, do it deliberately and consciously. Um, But don't, you know, don't do it like, uh, don't make the focus of the story their transness, make the transness a feature of them, like something that is Important about them. Uh, Don't spend a lot of time talking about how traumatic it is because it continues to paint us as a wholly traumatized person. And I keep telling people, like, you know, I've got stuff to complain about, but last year was the best year of my entire life. Being out is so much better than it, it, you know, isn't. Like, the closet is a death sentence, and the alternative is happy wholeness, and it comes with some inconveniences but my life is one of jubilance and celebration and excitement and not one of sadness and emptiness and loneliness and trauma. Um, and the more you can help tell the story that I need told, the better the representation is.
0: Yeah.
1: And like consultants, talk to people, get some feedback. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. again, a bit of a rehash, but
0: yeah. But yeah, I, I think um, that the specific, the specificities,
1: Specificity?
0: Specificity. That's a fucking mouthful of a uh, word. Yeah, my my mouth isn't making good with the talk talk today. You're you're gonna have to do it for me. Anyway, um I I thought that was very well worded and I um was so distracted by myself not being able to speak that I forgot what words I was trying to find out. So we're just gonna roll on and pretend um, the word stop with you.
1: I'm gonna roll. Is that what you yeah? Are? We're
0: gonna roll. I'm gonna stop talking. All good. I rolled a fourteen, <laughs> Four- which comes after oh. thirteen. We're
1: we're on a track here. We're on a roll. I promise. We're not, oh, is that you? You know better than that. <laughs> you play D and D. No one wants that joke in their lives. On a roll.
0: <laughs> we didn't here. Just for that, I'm gonna ask you a question. <laughs> what was it like? becoming someone who was visibly other? Huh.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, So I always was other. I just wasn't visibly other. And that's a good distinction to draw. Because hearing that question, I think a lot of people are going to think, what was it like becoming someone who was visibly other? And the important thing to think about when you hear that question is, what was it like to become someone who was other and have that become visible, like to, to change the state of your otherness to visible. Mm-hmm. I've always been someone who, because of my lens minority experience, has had empathy for the suffering that can be caused by that, and has had significant blind spots around um, just what that lived experience is like because of my position of privilege. Um, I got to pass in circles as a man I got to be the most privileged kind of human being that exists in the world. And I, I gave that up and and had to, you know, had to learn what that felt like. Um, it's worth it. It's still worth it. It's just better in every way. My life is so fundamentally happier, healthier, and more survivable because I get to be who I am. But yeah, no, visible minority experiences are challenging. Um and I, I wouldn't, you know. <laughs> I, I wish that it was easier to be visibly other in the world. Um, there are certainly spaces that I'm more thoughtful about. Uh, I call ahead to restaurants and I check that they don't, you know, that they can they can handle seeing a trans person walk in the door. Um, and I, I definitely find locales and places where I've gone a couple of times and introduced myself, and things feel a bit more familiar. And I'm attentive to those behaviors, and I really do try hard to positively review and single out establishments and businesses that are respectful of transness. I don't don't do the thing where I give like one-star reviews to places who just like people who just don't quite get it or don't really do that work. But I will say in a five-star review of a restaurant, I went here, I'm a visibly trans woman. I went with my wife. So there was obvious queer representation. It was clearly a romantic dinner. They were respectful, they were thoughtful, they seated us nicely they handled things with grace and kindness and my server was so-and-so and you know, she was amazing. Like she, she was great with us and it was, it was a lovely experience and that's not a guarantee for someone like me. So I really appreciate that. And I, I try to do that kind of advocacy because I feel like um, it, you know, people don't necessarily get acknowledged for being respectful of people who are visibly other. And I want to encourage that kind of empathy in the world. Um, but yeah, no, it, it changed changed my way of behaving. I used to walk in that door without thinking once or, or even you know, considering that I would be anything but treated as the most important customer. And now I know I'm not. And that means that I don't take it for granted anymore.
0: Yeah. Oh, the, uh, the, the calling ahead to a restaurant is something that I never considered being an action.
1: <sighs> yeah. I, I, you know, one of the things you you, you pointed out the like, you know, the change to being visibly other, and I guess I'm sort of talking a little bit about like the experience of being visibly other, but I know about that thing because I do consider it action because it's a change in behavior Mm -hmm. and so many things are changes in behavior now. Like I have to think really hard about how I look in the mirror and how that's going to feel for the other people around me before I walk out of a hotel room at a convention. So I get up 20 minutes earlier than other people in the room and I work hard about it. And sometimes that includes putting on makeup. Sometimes that includes just making sure that I'm presentable in a different kind of way, because I know that I am every trans person that that person has ever met in a moment sometimes. Mm -hmm. And for me, I do that interaction with a human being 60 or 70 times a day, but for them that was the first trans person they ever met and they need, they need to have that, those those resources and those tools, I need to be the best kind of advocate in those moments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being part of a visible minority means I need to be ready to defend my right to be all the time, but it also means I need to be ready to um, make the world better for people like me all the time.
0: Yeah, and I've heard people um, in in regard to this topic say that we, we shouldn't have to be on edge or we shouldn't have to advocate, we shouldn't have to educate. And it's just, yes, in an ideal world, this show wouldn't have to exist in an ideal world. I wouldn't have to explain to someone why my pronouns are a thing. I could just be like, Oh, non-binary and they'd be like, okay. Or I could just they them or whatever. I can just do a quick little tap my pronoun button and they figure it out and everything's good. But most of the time people are going to ask me about it. People are going to just want to find out as much as they can. And it's a combination of like just genuine ignorance of mm-hmm. just like, like I've never heard that before and I need it explained. And then it's sometimes people have their remarks and their things to say, and it's about navigating around that. And um, I, I I try to pick the genuine moments when you can tell that someone really wants to learn, hmm. instead of someone when they scoff when they ask. Yeah,
1: I, I I mentioned that whole like notion of like sixty times a day, and like it's not every day, but some day, like especially with COVID, it's not every day. Mm-hmm. But there are some days where I'm like I'm a front-facing you know staff member in a business that you know you know we have maybe three or four hundred regulars, people who would have known me on a first name basis, and I had to over the course of a year have a coming up conversation with nearly every single one of them. Yeah. Um, partly because people are really, really bad at like discussing transness. So like, mm-hmm. it, I felt like it would do, a, it would disseminate in the community, but it just kind of didn't. People were like, well, I just didn't want to tell anybody. I was like, fuck, like, <laughs> please just help me. Um, <laughs> which is fine. Like, it's not, that's not anything. Yeah. And, and, but, and that's
0: something. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, after you. I was going to say a lot of people um try to um, think like um, other, other language is, like, that's not a slur, it's like a bad word. Like you like, you know, Rebecca's a transgender. Like like they whisper it and they mm-hmm. act like, like you can't say it, even though it's just like 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 oh Bob is black. That's a fact about Bob. You can you you know, and it's not bad to say it. It's if you're saying it in a bad way, like, oh, you know, Rebecca. Then then yeah, of course you're you're um you're doing that be a dick thing I, I warned about earlier. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, don't uh, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no. Like othering is is um, it's complicated, and it's I don't know everything about it, and I spent a long time not having to think about it, uh, and having to think about it now has, has changed things for me. You look like you wanted to address a comment.
0: Um, I, I was thinking about it, but um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to say we'll get through the questions, and then we'll go through the comments oh, after. We'll cherry
1: pick a couple that feel good to do. Okay. Yeah, sure. just Let's because
0: it. it is um, it will be in an hour or three minutes already. So okay. Well, apparently we should uh,
1: proceed. All mm-hmm. right. What's what more questions do you have? All right. um, How many more questions do we want to go? The die rolling and just do them in order.
0: All right. Yeah. We. we, Yeah. Let's
1: go. Give them to me. I'll try to keep my answers a little bit more succinct. And
0: I circle that one. I literally almost. All right. um, How did your support network change when you came out? This is one I do feel like we've addressed a bit, but. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, I built a support network really consciously coming out. Um, That was really important to me. And something that was advised by therapists and by other people who know things about this. And I did research about transition and they said, the first thing you do is to build the support network, a group of people you can come out to, you can have a good conversation with, and they can help you do some of the early labor that's really important. i mentioned my boss, Jay was really important to me. His wife, Leanne was also really important to me. Like a lot of cis women who could do some of the labor of like the things that like moms teach their daughters when they're young, like I need to learn about those things, know about those things, to just sort of have a better understanding of it. And I couldn't exactly reach out to my mom. I told her as soon as I felt like I could, like over the phone. But we live very, very far away from each other. Canada's super big, and she's on the other side of it. Um, and uh, my sister was a big part of that. She was a, an amazing ally who, you know, got it from day one, and you know, sort of said like, yeah, that makes sense, and uh, was was fantastic. Um, my, my wife was a big part of it. Um, She's known for almost 10 years and has always been very, very gentle with me about the process and didn't always get it and had to do a lot of labor and learning herself. So people you trust, not just to already get it, but to be willing to put the time and energy into you to learn what it means. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you're like, Oh, my support network, I've come, I like I've talked to like four different trans people, like they're good allies and they can give you great perspective, but you also need to build people who are foundational to you and help those people like, do that labor with you and learn those things. And sometimes like I can be a good ally and a good advocate, but if you come to me with like, I've got these early, early gender questions, I already kind of know where the end of that journey is for a lot of people. And I definitely know where the end of that journey is for me. So I might make assumptions or I might not necessarily be a super useful ally for people who are still taking those little baby steps because it's, um, it's hard. It's like teaching someone to drive. It's, it's a good example. Um, teaching someone to drive is one of the hardest things to do because when you're first driving it's the most unimaginably difficult process you have to concentrate on seven things at once and if you fuck up any of them you could kill someone or destroy a many thousand dollar vehicle Uh, but when you're teaching someone to drive like it's like breathing it's so reflexive it's so simple it's so easy why are you having a problem with this so a really like you know someone who's a very experienced driver who's gone on the journey of driving a lot and has a ton of driving experience might be a good person to teach you how to drive and they definitely have a lot of expertise in that area but you also just need someone who's close to you who understands your style of learning and exploring knowledge who can make it feel gentle and simple and can help you navigate the risk anyway that i like metaphors
0: yeah and those are good i thought those were good metaphors so
1: Sometimes I'm a little too concrete with stuff, so it's too <laughs> metaphorical, I apologize. Um, next question. All
0: right, why are some people afraid of the threat to the norm made by trans people?
1: Oh, um, interesting, why are some people afraid of the threat to the norm uh, represented by trans people? I think, I think sometimes uh, I think sometimes it feels like like there's an invasion of space happening, um, and I think most like like especially like most trans women I know are like timid people who've spent much of their life being told that their existence isn't valid, and have finally gotten like a peak of sunlight. Um, they're not violent people, and they're not likely to endanger anyone by, you know, carefully going into a washroom, rushing to a stall, doing their business, and then like debating whether or not they can feel safe enough to wash their hands. Like, that's the experience you're dealing with. These are not sexual predators. But I think there's a lot of misinformation around transness because anyone can be uncomfortable with otherness. Mm-hmm. And trans people are just kind of rare. Like we're maybe 1% of the population. That's a that's a difficult statistic. Some people say 0.6% um, of the population. Um, at varying times in history, we've been different numbers and they've all been in that sort of range. Um, And it's, but like, it's hard to know how many trans people there would be if being trans wasn't so traumatic Um, because a lot of people are like, you know what? I just like, I know that's probably true of me. I just, I can't do it because I'm afraid I would die. lose my family, lose my job, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all the reasons that I said were hard to get me to that place of transition are a lot of the reasons why some people maybe don't. Um, But I think people are afraid of a, a threat to the norm. I think people are afraid of difference. I think people are afraid of things they don't understand. And with the statistical numbers being so low, I think um, a lot of people have never met a trans person and have only seen like kind of like horrific depictions in movies or are afraid of what it means. I think parents are afraid for their children. It means they will have unsatisfying lives. And and like like I'm a case in point of somebody who has like found purpose and galvanization and the ability to do good and to volunteer and to, you know, find meaning through my experience so like that's not true but i think it's really tempting to think that it will be a life of suffering that your kid can avoid by just not being trans which is impossible they can't pick that that's not a choice they get to make they get to pick to never affirm that experience um so yeah i think i think transness is scary because it's different yeah that's what i got
0: yeah and and you're right that's um that, that, that is what I was hoping for in your answer. Is, Maybe uh, other
1: made up reasons, but those are... yeah,
0: that's the main one that does. Um...
1: <laughs> Jump out at you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What's next? All righty. In what ways have you observed people treating you differently since coming out?
1: Uh, so I covered this a little bit. Um, I found some some surprising allies, um, like cis women or sometimes other queer people, uh, like because I'm visibly queer in a way that I wasn't before. I think some people have been like, "Oh, sweet, another queer person, right?" Like um, uh, Elizabeth, who's a, a war machine player, um, found me at Warfare Weekend and gave me a like like woman in, Women in War Machine badge that was like a small number. These were printed that were like like the sort of thing that you stitch to a bag. And she like kind of, she's like, I had one of these, like I had an extra one. And when I found out about you coming out, like I wanted to like track you down at the show and like give it to you. And like, I just about lost it in tears. Like I was like barely holding it together. And I think I was like in the middle of a Game of Twilight Imperium. It was like my turn and she gave it to me and I was just like holding on just barely. Oh. But um, like surprising allies, people who just like, see you differently and they just like they understand because they have some lens of empathy or some experience of otherness or queerness or a way that they know that like you know they, they see just a little bit deeper into who you are because of that and that's some of my favorite experiences. Um, I also you know I've, I've, I've had less positive ones. Um, transphobia is often subtle like you know people find a reason why you're not invited to a thing or they just sort of forgot to include you in something um, or they, I've, I've actually, I've had people think that I was less good at war machine because I'm a woman now, which is really funny. Like I went to a convention and just like steamrolled five people in a row because they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. And like, I heard you spend a lot of time focusing on that transition. And I was like, oh, let's, let's, let's don't go away, but whatever. Um, and, and like, so, you know, experience is different. And then I've had people who are just like, I know I still like it, and I know you're still the same person. I don't get this, and I don't understand it, and I kind of want to understand, but also it feels like it's going to be a lot of work, so I don't necessarily want to understand. Like, you get that kind of half measure, and I try really hard to get those people on board, but you know, it doesn't always happen. Y- you lose friends over it, and and for some reason, just like certain types of people's existence has become a political issue for some people, and I have had very passionately religious people on both sides of this debate come to me. I've had people say like, listen, I'm a very, very devout religious person. And, you know, the Bible said men shouldn't wear women's clothing, but I believe you when you say you are genuinely a woman and I know that has a plan for everyone and um, I accept your transition as a necessary part of that experience. And I, I want to understand it better because I want to see that divinity in everyone. And I think that's beautiful. And I've had people say like, well, obviously, you know, I'm not okay with this part of you because you know, I'm religious. And I, I, I you know, having been met